Thank you for listening to the Maranatha Fellowship Podcast. We hope this message will inspire, challenge, and encourage you to grow closer to Christ. If you're in the Anchorage area, we invite you to be our guest during our morning Sunday worship service at 11 a.m. For directions, or if you would like more information about us, please visit akmaranatha.com. All right, let me say good morning while we we still have a few minutes of that left. Uh, good morning to you, and uh, we're so glad you're here today. If you're a guest with us, we don't we don't do the Christmas play every week. It looks a little different on other weeks, right? And so we're we're glad you're here and you've come. Um, I want to welcome Rob Vandenboss to the pulpit to share a little bit about what God's doing and maybe share a word of encouragement to us as a church. So let's welcome one of our missionaries, Rob Vandenboss. Rob, come. Good morning, church. It's uh, very good to be here. It's a little bit... uh, I'm a little bit worried to follow up on such a great program with the children. But I actually want to say, thank Ms. Heller because, you know, um, the children's Christmas program presets the stage for what I want to share. Because, you see, the manger is where it all began. There in the stable of Bethlehem, the manger is actually the author of missions, if you think about it. It's the author of missions. God sent his only begotten son, born of a virgin, in a stable to set the stage for what was to come following the cross. As Jesus called the first of his disciples, come follow me, the calling has never been rescinded. And some 2,000 plus years ago, this continues calling continues to those who are often referred to as missionaries. When Luke was giving his pre-introduction, it took me back to 28 years ago today. We left the United States on January 8th. So, we're into what was the last two weeks of our North American lifestyle. And I'm thinking, you know, we were living in a basement out of boxes, and it was winter and going to the unknown. And um, both Chris and I gave up careers in government employments. I worked for the United States Department of Defense uh, in nuclear engineering for uh, underground ICBM missiles in Montana. Chris worked in Montana State uh, Special Education and Deaf Education. We both had great careers. We had a lifestyle that was very comfortable. We lived in a a two-and-a-half-story, 100-plus-year-old Victorian home, and we had all of the things that often becomes the all-American dream. I went on a mission, short-term mission trip prior to that in February of 94. And I spent two weeks, two and a half weeks, I went to China and smuggled Bibles, got chased by the Chinese, chased by the Chinese soldiers with their machine guns because we were doing things we weren't supposed to be doing. 
And uh, then I went on to the Philippines. And I had an opportunity to share with the missionary there that I wanted to go and experience missions, but mostly to connect with Jesus in a way that I had never connected before. I had been a Christian 20 years by then, but I wanted to go see, smell, touch, feel, and taste everything that you could imagine what the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ was. And I spent two weeks in the jungles living among uh, some Filipino pastors in grass roof churches and mud floors. And never did I expect that when it was time for me to return to America that I would have a problem that would have to be resolved. And on the airplane, I wrote in my journal that, God, would you please take me back to the Philippines at least one more time? Because I would need to go back and get the part of my heart that I left there. Or you'd have to take us back as a family and reunite me with, the, with, with what was there. And never did I think that um, in eight short months, we would sell, uh, move out of our house, sell 75% of everything we owned, put the little bit that we kept in storage just in case, just in case. Told my children we would go for a year we go to the mission field for a year and see what God would do. And so that was pretty easy for them to wrap their head around. We're going on a one-year-long vacation in a warm, sandy, tropical island. And as the year came to a close, um, we took our children and sat down and said, hey, the decision for what our future is lies among you three children. You children will make the decision what we do. But whatever decision you make, it's all for one and one for all. If one out of three of you cannot say, I can't do this anymore, then we all go back. But our kids had their little conversation and talked it over. And my one daughter at that time, who was um, 14, and she said, "Um, we have nothing to lose here. and We have everything to gain. America is a good place to be from, but this feels like home. And so if you were to talk to them, uh, Uriah may have referenced that when he was here with you a few months ago. For those of you who remember Uriah, he was that tall guy with a little bit of balding hair and dreadlocks down to the floor in the back. Okay? He may have referenced that my dad was a liar because um, dad said we're going for a year. And I've always told them the year just never got over. The year just never ended. And so we have spent 28 years there. Um, We arrived January 10 of 1995, and we thought it was a really big fanfare for us because the missionary who picked us up said, you know, this is the first time in many, many years that all the trash had been cleared out of the the roads, and uh, this portion of the city was clean. And we were thinking, that's pretty amazing, but why are all the people out lining the roads? And um, we would go down the road, and people were waving. We thought, well, they're really welcoming welcoming us to the Philippines. But what we didn't know is uh, an hour behind us was the Pope's visit to the Philippines. (laughs) 
So we can always say that we showed him the way through Manila. Amen. I didn't go to Bible school. I didn't go to any theology school. You say I was a, a hands, hands and feet man for the federal government, and God captured my heart and called me to the mission field. And I didn't know how to be a missionary. I didn't know what to do. And I went because God called us to go. Took us to a remote island called the typhoon capital of the Philippines because they know that that's not good for tourism. In the last two years, they renamed it to the Happy Island. Usually, I would say, if anybody gets caught in Katanduanis for a typhoon, they're happy to get off the island. But we went, and as Luke said, it's not always easy. But we didn't go to the mission field because it was easy. We went because we wanted to be hands and feet of Jesus. We surrendered ourselves, and it was never about a missionary and his family going to the mission field. It was about a family of missionaries. Each one of us had a call of God, and each one of us was a missionary in their own right. And our children were great evangelism or evangelists. Uriah was 10 going 11, Sarah was 13 going 14, Jesse was going 18. Most mission organizations said, uh, we won't touch you for affiliation. Number one, if you take your kids to the mission field at this time of their life, you'll destroy their lives. Number two is you didn't have three years to do fundraising, and you need a certain amount of money before you can go to the mission field. And I didn't have time to raise money, and I didn't have time to look for another uh, affiliation. And cashed in my retirement. It was enough to buy our airplane tickets as a family. We took what we could in baggage, and we arrived, and they dumped us in an empty house, and we had nothing. We had $500 a month mission support at that time. That wouldn't even cover most of the legal visa requirements. But we knew God had called us, and we knew that God would provide. And he has continued to provide for 28 years. And yes, over the period of time, over 28 years, we picked up 11 supporting ministries around the United States and Canada. And it's all miraculous works of God who connected us. Because I didn't know how to itinerate. I didn't. Most churches don't want somebody that you're not affiliated to. But God built us a network of supporting ministries that have kept us in the mission field. But each time, God would give us a new opportunity to connect to a new partner in ministry. And we can go back and say, well, you know, I've been a part of this church for better than 23 years. And... It was a strange and amazing phone call in Singapore, I think it was, where Janie's parents were passing through an airport when their airplane was canceled, and my daughter was passing through the airport when her flight was canceled, and they were both going to the Philippines but didn't know each other. 
And Janie's dad was an eavesdropper. He was listening on somebody else's phone call in the next phone stall and said to Esther, that girl's going to Katandwani's. Esther thought he was crazy because nobody goes to Katandwani's. But yes, they connected. And that's where it began for Maranatha Church. But back then, Luke and Janie were still kids in, in Kansas. But we've all come a long ways, amen? We have a mandate from God. In Matthew 24, 14, it says, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations. That was the mandate that began. Though it wasn't spoken in Bethlehem at that day, it was spoken and it applied to when the king of all kings was born. Jesus called his original disciples and said, come, follow me. And if we're not fulfilling the speaking of the gospel, the reality is, is we're not changing the world. I wasn't called to start a Bible school, which there are thousands of foreign Bible schools throughout the Philippines. God called me to go be hands and feet. I was a carpenter. I was a welder. I was raised on a Montana farm. I didn't know much about religious things. I knew spiritual things because I had been born again and spirit-filled and worked in ministry for a while. But I didn't know about the rest of it. And God said, go and be the school of practical ministry, hands-on practical ministry. Preach the good news, raise up disciples, and teach them to become disciples that will go and make new disciples who will go and make new disciples and go and make new disciples. Humanitarian work in itself is good, but it does not save the world. It takes the gospel to save the world, and the enemy knows it. The gospel is free, but it takes big money to pump it into the world. I told the Lord I would be a missionary. I would go wherever, whenever, whatever, forever. But I had one bargaining tool with God. I said, God, I will do that. But don't ever make me a beggar for the gospel. I'm not a fundraiser. I'm not even very good at fundraising. But I'm not a fundraiser. And I asked God, don't make me a beggar for the gospel. If you called me to go, I will go. If you called me to it, you will bring me through it. If you called us a missionary family, always remember this. People are not your source. God is our source. God is our source. Yes, I get to come and I get to share some stories about missions. And I could share some stories that would make you uncomfortable in your chair. I could share some that would make you a little bit nauseated. I would share some stories that would make you laugh, okay? And all of those are true and real, and they apply to missions. But the reality is, is it's my love for the gospel. It's my tenacity to share the gospel. And it's the power of God that works through us 
to do what we do. Sometimes people, I've been to a lot of different type denominational churches and they always announce, well, this is missionary Sunday or missionary whatever, and then they would always complain about how low attendance was. Half their church would stay home because they don't like to be intrigued or irritated by missions. And so you didn't, you didn't, nobody told you this was Missionary Sunday. <laughs> but forget that, okay? This is Family Sunday with children's program, and it just so happens that the missionaries here, and they laid the platform out for the story. Amen. But people would stay home from missions is because most people live in a break-even mentality. Okay? They, that kind of mentality is, is we can only afford to do so much. We can only afford to do this or that. It's a break-free break mentality. But I know that God doesn't want us to be caught up in a break, or I mean a, a break-even, Okay? a break-even mentality. I think of the disciples when they fed the 5,000. And the fishes and the loaves was more than they needed. There was 12 baskets left over. When it comes to missions and ministry in the mission field, we need to have that same kind of mentality as there's always something for missions. There's always something to propagate the gospel in the world. I know that you live in a mission-minded community. You live in a place where missions is also reaching out to all the corners of Alaska and there beyond. And it takes money, and you know that. You've been involved for a long time. But the reality is, is we can't help someone if we only break even. If you're able to only survive, missions cannot go and do anything in the world. Missionaries live off of what I call faith promise giving. Amen? It's not a pledge because pledges are simply part of your budget. Okay? We live off of faith promises. Missions, missions can't necessarily be a budgeted item in church. It takes a missions budget. It takes a missions committee. It takes mission-minded leadership to keep missionaries on the field. So it leads us to the point that we need to give out of the potential of heaven. God has enough, amen? God has enough, and most of us have enough, don't you think? See, although we're living in the greatest hour in the history of the church, too many Christians have their entire focus on themselves. No, I don't intentionally mean to step on toes, but it's real. We need to often readjust and get our focus off ourselves and onto where we fit into God's plan in the last days before Jesus returns. And when you seek first God's kingdom, all the other things you need, everything else you need, are added anyway. Amen? People sometimes say, well, missions have been going on and on since the beginning of time. And yeah, that's true. Missions have been. So why isn't the world already fully saturated with evangelism? Okay? Well, one simple way to look at it is this. 
And since the beginning of time, population continues to go on and on since the beginning of time. And the Bible says, until every ear shall hear and every tongue confess, we will continue the mission of missions. Amen. We'll continue the mission of missions. We need to make a commitment in faith, not based upon what you have when it comes to missions. Because if you don't make it, you can't budget it. Amen. I listened to several stories over the past, past, couple, past couple of months. You know, well, I can't because I have to get new tires on my truck, or I can't because my engine blows up, or I can't because the furnace in my house quits working, or whatever, whatever, whatever. And those are common, and they're ordinary, and they're the same year-round. We're always in a position to have things that rise up within our situations of life, but we seem to always find a way to get through them, to work through them, amen? And I used to understand that because I worked in the real world, as you would say. I'm not part of the real world. Well, no, I worked in that, and I understood it, and I had three children then, and um, I did understand it. But God never failed me then, and he'll never fail me now. Though my career has changed, my God has never changed. Okay? Though the application of what I do may have changed from when I worked with a guaranteed government paycheck and benefits and thought, you know, I, I love this job. I had 57 days a year paid off because of how long I worked for the government. The longer you work, the more benefits you got. I loved it. But I never, never regretted stepping away and living under the umbrella of my faith, trusting God to provide for me. And I can say, in the mission field, I only had one heartache, and that was when my kids had a birthday. And there wasn't a birthday present. But instead of giving a birthday present, we always went out on a birthday did something for somebody because we were giving the gift rather than expecting to receive a gift. That's missions. It's missions. God said he will give the seed. And you have to have seed to plant, amen, or you'll have nothing to harvest. Amen? But all too often, <laughs> some people eat their seed or they spend their seed, and then they don't understand why they have nothing to harvest. Believe God for something you don't have so you can give by faith. My grandchildren in New Mexico have two banks each. And I never knew this until just this year when I visited in in October there. And their one bank is, they took their bank and their mom took them to the credit union and opened a credit uh, a savings account for the children. And so they each have their own ATM card. They each understand the principles of banking. But the other bank each of them had was where they tithe for the things of God. And 
this year they got to give their tithe to Grandy and Grammy for missions. And you know what? It was the most exciting thing to see when you see the little children learning the principles of kingdom building through their tithes and offerings. Open up your heart so God can get involved in what he wants, you, wants to do with you. I learned long ago that miracles are the work of God, but missionaries are often the hands and the feet of God working his miracles. We don't perform miracles. It's God in us and through us that the miracles happen. And sometimes it's not just speaking the word, but it's working the word. I grew up uh, as a kid through high school believing I wanted to become a doctor. My parents, um, though we were kind of a mixed up, broken up household, my parents always said, you're too stupid to be a doctor. You can never become a doctor. You'll never be a doctor. So we tend to believe what we have, you know, input equals output. Sorry, I I interject some Tagalog here. Diba means, is that right? Right? Uh, It's just natural. But we tend to believe after a season what you're told is, you know. And so um, I went to school and got a degree in engineering and architecture. When I finished, I thought, if I could become an architect, I could have become a doctor. And it was my passion, but I didn't have the opportunity. And I went to the mission field, and I was only in the mission field 24 hours when another missionary friend there was the doctor in the organization that I was there. He came upstairs one evening and he said, "Uh, I have an emergency downstairs in the clinic. Uh, All of my staff is gone. I have to perform a surgery. He says, I need help. Can you help me? And my mind kicked in. Bing, bing, bing. I can do all things in Christ who strengthened me. I said, sure. So I went down and um, we were doing surgery and well into the surgery as he was getting ready to close up, he passed me the instruments and he said, you close and I'm going to go and prepare meds and dressings so we can get this patient out of here and we can go home. And so um, I knew basic sewing. I was in college and I had to fix a few things, okay? And so I... um, did what I was told to do, and he came back, and he says, wow, those are the nicest sutures I've ever seen. I think you could work surgery with me all the time. So he believed I had some medical background. So we have dinner that evening. He says, how much medical training do you have? I said, "Uh, one hour. (laughs) What are you talking about? Are you an EMT, a paramedic? Do you have a nursing degree? I said, no. I know how to cut and glue wood and weld metal. That's what I know how to do. And he wouldn't believe it until the senior missionary there said, that's true. This is a Montana farm kid here. And so he said to me, he gave me a proposal. You have a gifting, which he believed was birthed inside of who I am. He says, if you'll give me six months, I'll train you. 
So I spent six months in the clinic every day, Monday through Friday, learning how to become a missionary doctor. And after six months, I got this big box of instruments and medicine and some little cheat sheets and was sent to the jungles of Katanduanis. And in Katanduanis, we didn't have but one antique hospital that um, was more than 50, 60 years old. I think everything after uh, World War II was shipped there. And it functioned like the 407 MASH. And it was primitive. And doctors were not really doctors. Uh, but anyway, I began to do jungle medicine. And God really blessed me. And I got into situations and things that I didn't know what to do. But I could contact the doctor in Manila, and he could tell me what to do. And I did a lot of surgeries. Did a lot of trauma medicine. I delivered a lot of babies. And I was in my element. I have one ministry that, you know, doesn't seem like it's really uh, a ministry, but it's medically related. But I had opportunities to use one of my talents to lay hands on and pray for a lot of young men. Because in our culture there, they don't circumcise until 12 to 18 years old. Why are some of you uncomfortable? Yes. But it was an opportunity because they don't teach a lot of morality. So I figured this is an opportunity that I can minister to this young man's life. So when you get them all undressed and nowhere to go except on that table, and you anesthetize them, which they normally never had an anesthesiology, you know, uh, and I would pull out this big, shiny bolo knife. Now, if you're not, if you weren't uncomfortable, you should be, you know. <laughs> and um, I would say, uh, lalaki or babae, your mama wants a girl. What do you want to be? What? One time, one man got up from the table, grabbed his clothes, and left my house without putting them on. He came back about four and a half years later, and we got to finish business. <clears throat> but, you know, um, the thing is, is I could pray for them while laying hands on them and perform a surgery. But the whole time was, is I want to make sure that I am giving them words, biblical words of God, that tells them how they should be as a young man, and pray and trust that the words that I would speak to them may stay with them for the rest of their life. I may never see them again, but I know that when they left, they had their surgery, but they also had some surgical work done upon their heart. And 25, 26 years later, sometimes a young man comes up to me in the market or the hardware store and says, are you Pastor Rob? And I say, yes. I don't know why you have to ask. I haven't changed. And they say, well, um, do you remember me? I said, if you tell me your name and what village you come from, I might remember who you are. 
well, you circumcised me when I was 12 years old. And I thought, oh, I could be really humorous and say, prove it. <laughs> but the thing is, is they would say to me, I have never forgot what you shared with me. I have never forgot the words that you spoke to me. And I became a Christian. I am married. I have a family. I'm part of a church. You know what? You know you've done what God's called you to do. I often wonder, when does a missionary get too old? And God keeps reminding me is that, um, as I've told some of the elderly here, you're never too old to be used of God. And you're never too old to start being used of God if you're not letting God use you. And so I'm anticipating that well into my 80s, I will continue. I don't do much surgeries anymore uh, because now that we have doctors after this many years, those doctors began to complain to the mayor in our community that I was infringing upon their livelihoods. And so I don't deliver babies anymore, uh, though I've delivered the ones that matter to me. I still do a little bit of surgery out in the jungles. And on occasion, one of my really good friends is a, the surgeon of the government hospital there. And on occasion, she's asked me to come in and assist with her in surgeries. So I still get training. And it's still exciting. And it's things I've never done before. But the thing is, is I'm not too old to keep learning. We're not too, we never get too old to speak the words of Jesus, to share the gospel. I've often heard statistics all my life is that somebody needs to hear the gospel about 17 times before it actually gets into their heart and they change their life for Jesus. And I'm thinking, I would have failed God if I ever stopped on the third or the fourth time of sharing Jesus with somebody. In my early years as a missionary, we had a couple. Well, we took some mission teams in from Baptist-based background churches out of Illinois. And they were excellent mission teams. But um, they supported us for about nine years when they realized that we had nothing Baptist in our mission name. And we had one last missionary team come from them, and the associate pastor who was on that mission team was to be uh, upgraded to, to the senior pastor of that church after that mission team. And we had about 19 adults, professional adults, on that mission team. And um, God moved powerfully in the mission field that year. We built a church, and we built faith in a lot of those temporary missionaries that most of them, including the pastor, went back to Illinois speaking in tongues. And it shook up their church. And the associate pastor didn't get his upgrade. And they stopped supporting us. But out of that, many of them continued to support us. Even though they don't do it to the church, they continue because of the impact of what God can do in their lives. And so 
Sometimes the mission team that comes is your mission field. Amen? Sometimes they're the mission field. And we have to be all that God has called us to be. We have to do all that God has called us to do. I've um, had a young disciple my first year and a half in the mission field die sleeping in a bed beside me. He was part of my my leadership team, and we were going to go do an outreach medical mission one day, and so he came home to sleep, and we had four of the guys there, and he was uncomfortable sleeping in the big room where he was, and he asked if he could sleep in my room with me. Um, My family was gone to the States on furlough, and I said, sure, and he sat in the bottom of the bed for a long time that night and prayed, and then he went to bed, and Early the next morning, uh, I got up to start to prepare things that needed to be ready for us going out to the mission. And I walked into the room, and I called him by name, Ian, it's time to wake up. And then I went in the bathroom and started to prepare myself. I went back to the kitchen to make some food, and I come back in. He still hadn't woke up, so I took my foot because his foot hung over the bottom of the bed. We just had a mattress on the floor, and I just kind of like that tickled his foot. He didn't move, and I thought, boy, he's really sleeping. And I went in the bathroom and kept busy, and then he never did get up, and the other others were all up and moving around. And I went in, and I went up beside the bed, and I reached down to shake him, and um, my whole world fell apart. He had died in his sleep from an epileptic seizure. So you see, um, I was reminded by God, I can do all things in Christ Jesus. But I never knew what it would mean to go and tell a mother or a father that their son, who had become a born-again Christian, died sleeping in my house, and they're not Christians. I never understood how difficult it was to be a missionary when they would beat themselves or beat each other and tear their clothes and pull their hair. And I said, God, you know what? This is far more than I bargained for. This is much more than I bargained for. But God assured me we can work through this. We can get through this. So the parents said, we will let you bury him as a Christian since that's where his heart was and that was his joy. And I thought that was really excellent. But I didn't know that when they said they would let me bury him as a Christian, that meant that they were going to let me pay for everything to bury him as a Christian. Well, I didn't have the budget for that. God provided. But I went and found a little coffin box and mortician there to come to, to get the body. So I thought, so they, you know, we're very sheltered in our culture. Our loved ones die in a, care facility or sometimes at home, hospice now as we know it, and um, they take them away, and when we see them again, they're all pretty. They've made them look the best they can look. They take care of something that we don't really think about. And the mortician guy came to my house, and he said, "Um, this is fine. We can do everything here. What do you mean, do everything here? Well, we'll just 
embalm him here? In my bedroom? Are you crazy? We, we think you're going to come and take him and take him to your little place and we'll see him later. No. He was gone about four hours and he came back very panicky. And I was already panicking because I had to still find an uh, official to come and verify a death and worried about how would they try to connect this to the white man, the white foreign missionary here. All kinds of rampant, strange things run through your mind. But the little mortician comes back, Mr. Rob, Mr. Rob, I have a problem. I think you have a problem. This boy is four days short of being 20 years old. I have a problem. I said, what's, what's the problem? He said, the embalmer is up in Igmoto on the other side of the island and will not be back until tomorrow. So what's your problem? I have no one to embalm. And if we wait until then, it will be too late to embalm. I hired you. He said, so you will be the one. What, what do you mean you will be the one? You will be the one to embalm him. I said, I can't do that. I don't know how to do that. I am not certified to do that. He said, I will, I will tell you how. I'll tell you what to do. If you can tell me what to do, you just do it. He says, I own the business, but I'm not certified. I am not certified. <laughs> no, but you are medical missionary doctor. Funny how word gets around, right? Word gets around, you put one Band-Aid on, and all of a sudden you can embalm a person. My world rocked. He says, I will send you a helper. I'm thinking, I have never, never even for a moment ever imagined what is the process of doing such a thing. He sent a helper who was 13 years old, who manually operated, you know, the tank, the glass jug that, you know, And he told me what to do. And it was very difficult. But as I ministered, as I did what I had to do, and he was finished, he said, okay, you can give him a bath and you can dress him so his parents can see him. And he walked out of the room and he took his jugs and equipment and stuff. And I kind of emotionally broke down and sat on the floor and just wept before God. Why? Why would you let something like this be part of what you've called me to do as a missionary? And he said, everything you do now, from this moment forward, everything you do now is not for Ian. You were there when he became born again. He got saved. You were there and water baptized him. You were there when he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And you were there when I called him home. But what you're here for now is what you do now is for his family. What you do now is showing them the love 
the acceptance of Jesus Christ. Well, like I said, my family was in America, and it was just me and my adopted son, June, at the time. One of the other disciples came in from the remote village, and he said, God told him he had to come today because I would need him. Boy, did he know. He came a little late. He should have been there before the helper. But he was there, and the thing is, is we could. We could minister to the family because he was the tongue who would translate, and we could minister to a family. We mourned for Ian for seven days in, our, in his house. Traditionally, they like 10 days. And I always wondered how long that embalming actually lasted because, uh, you know, seven to 10 days, something's got to begin to give. But on seven days when the mother was about to die, I begged the family, let's go put him in the tomb, of which we had to also build a tomb, which I'd never done before. And then we go to a cemetery, and uh, June and I and Rick get there, and we're ready, waiting for the truck and the family and the body to come. And the truck comes, we hear it, and all the people come, and we're about a quarter of a mile out in the middle of a rice field, and uh, it's muddy rice field, and we uh, have to walk on the little rice dikes. And they all come out there, and then I'm thinking, where's the body? I start asking, where's the body? The body's still on the truck because if you're immediate family, you can't touch the body. You can't carry the coffin. And everybody that was there was all immediate family except June and I and Ricardo. So guess what? We went back through the rice field. and We brought that coffin, three of us, all the way through the rice field. This time we couldn't walk on those little dikes, so we took our shoes off and pulled our pant legs up and went right through the middle of the flooded mic. Uh, rice patties out to the coffin or out to the uh, the tomb. And I thought, this is going to be simple. Okay? This is going to be simple. When it got time to have a closing ceremony and put the tomb in the, or the coffin in the tomb, one of the brothers who had just arrived from Manila asked if he could see his brother one last time. And so you lift the little wood panel, and there's a glass window there. and So uh, everybody sees Ian in that condition, and emotions go crazy. It becomes a drama. And then they started to open the coffin because they wanted to touch him, and I was panicking. What are we going to do? <laughs> Never seen anything like this before. And I was afraid the coffin was going to get broken, and then what? So finally I said to the boys, hey, you got to help me here. You guys get down at the bottom of the coffin and you just start taking a person and throwing them in the mud. Just throw them in the mud. Keep throwing them until the last person is thrown off. And then one of you guys is ready and as soon as there's nobody else hanging over the coffin or trying to open the door, shove it in the tomb. We shoved that in the tomb and instantly everybody got up and fixed their clothes and went home. I thought, this is what being a missionary is all about. And we closed him up. And so, yeah, you know, as I stop, stop and think, is 
there's a lot of stories, but there's a lot of things that you can do as a missionary. Missionary is someone who is willing to do whatever, wherever, whenever it's needed, whether you're qualified or not. Okay? And so I have done some pretty tricky surgeries, not knowing how to handle those kinds of things. But I have testimonies where I can honestly say, Lord, you're going to have to do this because I don't know what to do. And I have honestly felt as if Jesus stepped up behind me and he put his arms around me and his hands became my hands. And he directed me through some very critical surgical procedures of whom people are still alive today. We're never too old, people, to be used of God. Some may just be used to share the words or to pour out compassion and affection on those who are suffering. I want to encourage you. If God doesn't call you to the mission field, he does call you to serve missionaries. He does call you to be the sending agency that's behind the missionaries that are out in the field. We live remote. We do, for the first time in our 28 years, live in a now constructed, typhoon-proof house. We've lost our house five times and almost everything we've owned seven times. And I used to argue with God in the beginning, how many times must I start over and build again? Because we'd build churches, we'd build houses, they'd be destroyed by the storms. And feeling very pathetic and pitiful, God said to me, you have never rebuilt. You have always just been building. And he reminded me that from the very first typhoon that I ever experienced there, when the people thought that I would leave the next day and never come back, and a little lady, old lady in the church, who was gathering her few belongings off the mountains, And she came up to me and said, hello, Brother Rob, it's good to see you. And her joy and her countenance was far beyond anything that we would even think of having. And I said to her, "Uh, Mother Guti, how can you be so joyful today? I knew she had lost a son over the years in typhoons, but she was joyful. And she said, Brother Rob, she took me by the shirt, and she said, Brother Rob, you have a choice. You can live anywhere in the world you want to. I don't have that choice. My only choice today is I can do this joyfully or I can be angry. She changed my life. She changed my life literally. And from that moment on, I said, I will be here and finish the race. Because you can't expect anybody else to finish the race if they haven't seen someone already do it. And so we are committed to spend the rest of our life in the mission field. And as Luke shared, we're going through some health issues with my wife. But we're optimistic and we're hopeful um, that she's going to come out of it and we're going to bring her home. But she's here for what we know at this point for a two-year period of time for detoxification of black mold in her brain. So her her condition has been quite critical. And um, so not to make it too dreary, she's 
for the last four days have been very optimistic for me. My kids are taking care of her in New Mexico so that I could finish my visitations to the churches that support us because I haven't been able to come to the United States for three and a half years. The sad thing is, is Chris was stuck in America for two years and couldn't go home. She cannot have a vaccination because of a compromised immune system. And so they wouldn't allow her to come back to the Philippines because she wasn't vaccinated. She just got home in April. And so then September, they opened or lifted all restrictions on vaccinations leaving the country. So I left the the third week of September and came to the States. And then she got sick two weeks later. But um, we know that God's not finished. We know that he still has a plan. We know that things are in order, and uh, ultimately, to God be the glory. We appreciate Maranatha Church. There's not even enough words to express our appreciation. And it's not necessarily for the monetary support. It's for the fact that we have a family here that cares for us as a family member, prays for us, on an ongoing, steady basis, and we appreciate that. We know it's the prayers of the saints that availeth much, and Maranatha Church has always been there for us in the 23 to 24 years that we've been connected. We're very thankful for that. I'm very excited to come this this time because uh, this is probably the fullest the church has ever been since I've been visiting, and it's very exciting to see all of you. Don't get to know all of you, but you got to know me a little bit today. And so, press on, people. Fight the good fight. And uh, I challenge you. You go home and ask God what he wants you to do today. Ask God, honestly, with a fully opened heart, Lord, is there something that I should be doing that I'm not doing? Is there something that I could be doing that I'm not? And if God answers you and you hear that voice, you know, it's important to know the voice of God. If you've heard the voice of God and you know it's the voice of God, all you have left left to do is to decide. Will you obey? Will you do what God has asked you to do? Thank you for giving me this opportunity this morning. I love you all. I don't know you, but I love you because you're all part of the body of Christ. And we're one family. Father, I thank you for this morning, and I pray for Maranatha Church that you will continue to meet their needs as a church. But I pray greater things yet to come, Lord, as, as the prayer of Jabez, that you would expand their territory. Amen. You will give them a greater influence in their communities. They will reach and touch more lives beyond what they have reached as you continue to grow the kingdom that will pour out from this place into the lives of others. Bless the church and everybody in the church, all the families as we celebrate holiday season. I pray, God, against depression and loneliness. I pray against all the things that steal the joy of people, but let the joy of Jesus Christ, King of kings, Lord of lords, who was born in Bethlehem, for our joy, and for our peace, and for our health. Satisfy them, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.
Amen. Why don't we stand? I was thinking as Rob was sharing that um, sometimes we get caught in um, the mindset that this is our world and this is our time as if nothing existed before us and nothing mattered before we came into the world. Uh, but you realize that that's, uh, that's a falsehood, um, that uh, there are things that set that up. Like you didn't get to choose where you were born or who your parents were, and you are where you are probably mostly because of somebody else's decisions. And then when you come on the scene, you get choices to make, and you get to make those. But we think that there's nothing, uh, that this world is our world, and it's our story, and it's really not. It's God's story. And if we're to bring it full circle today, we need to acknowledge the fact that this is Christ's story, Christ coming into the world. And what Rob shared with us today is his buy-in. That's his buy-in to the fact that this is God's story. See, what he shared was not his story. You understand that? That's his buy-in to God's story. And I would ask you how you're living your life. Are you writing your own story? Are you letting God write your story? Because I guarantee you um, what Rob's story is is more exciting than if he had written it himself. It's more fulfilling than if he had written it himself. I can tell you from personal experience that if I hadn't bought into what God's vision was, and I never dreamed in my wildest dreams that I would ever move out of the state of Kansas or away from my family or be a pastor or know people from different continents to be in a church like this. I can't tell you how boring my life and meaningless it would have been had I written the story. It's so much better to buy into his story and let him write the details of it. That doesn't mean you go without decisions. It doesn't mean you don't have a say. You do. But the, the question that we have to come to, I think, is fundamental is, whose story is it that we're living? Are you with me? Christmas is about Jesus coming to the world. He's the centerpiece of history. He's the most important figure in all of history. If somebody asks you, is Jesus of history really real? I would ask you the question, have you ever heard of Julius Caesar? How many have heard of Julius Caesar? Okay, how many, with the other hand, think he existed? Okay, lift a hand. Do you know that we have more historical information about Jesus than we do of Julius Caesar? In fact, I would suggest you have more historical information about Jesus than any other figure in all of history. And uh, it's his story. This is his story. God came in flesh. If what the Bible says is true, it's the most significant thing that's ever been said. If it's true, there's nothing more important. If it's not true, it has no importance at all. Let's stop celebrating Christmas. Let's stop doing Christmas plays. Let's stop coming to church. But if it's true, it's worth our buy-in. And so today, if you're a guest with us today, I, I, I just want to say I'm so glad you came and you're here. Rob shared his buy-in. I would ask you to consider what's your buy-in. Have you said yes to Jesus? Have you said, God, this is your story? Or are you still scribbling away, writing it yourself? Amen. Let's bow our heads for just a moment. Take a moment before the Lord and ask him what he's saying to us. See, missions is is going in the flesh. That's what Jesus did. He came in the flesh. God came in the flesh for us. 
is Jesus laying claim to the world that he created. If today you're saying, man, I, I've been writing my own story. I wonder what it'd be like if I surrendered my, my life to God and let him be the author. Because the book of Hebrews says that he's the author and the finisher of our faith. If you hear God calling today, what's your response going to be? Will it be yes to him? Will it be yes to him? Are we going to continue to live in our small little story? Father, you know the hearts of those that are here. You know some of the quiet desperations we live through. Moments when we wake up with a, a lonely ache in our heart or that times of regret where we just want to push the guilt to the side and somehow find a way to forget it. Maybe we're living as if this world doesn't have any purpose and it just aches to live. I know, Lord, that you've not called us to that, and it may be what Augustine said, that there's a God-shaped hole in each of us, and our heart yearns until that hole is filled. God, would you come and would you fill that ache, that void in our lives. We acknowledge today that we've been sinful, we've been self-centered, we've lived for ourselves, we've done it by defrauding and taking advantage of other people and not worrying about them. We've fought and we've warred and we've stolen and we've cheated. We've idolized and all those things are destroying our world. And we want to cast the blame somewhere else, but it's time for us to face the fact that every heart is desperately wicked and is in need of forgiveness. Help us, Lord, to see that today. And you came in the flesh so that you could be our representative before God. And you took upon yourself our sins and you died in our place so that we could be made right with, with God. Thank you, Lord. I ask, Lord, that today you would stir somebody's heart to let to let you be the author of their story. And if you respond to that, would you just say this quiet prayer in your heart? Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner in need of your grace. Thank you for dying on the cross. Thank you for rising again. I want to put my confidence in you. I want to trust you to be the author and finisher of my faith. If you pray a prayer like that today, that could be transformative for your life. It'll change directions. You'll find that there's new and exciting chapters to be written. There's things that you never would have dreamed of that God's going to do. It may change your family and turn it upside down in a good way. But I would ask you to commit that to the Lord today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I'm not going to preach a sermon. Thank you, Rob, for sharing. The adventures of missions, when you say yes to Jesus, you never know what he may call you to do. But you know that in every situation where Rob's been obedient, he's been the hands of Christ extended. And that's what he wants from each one of us. And it'll be joyful. It At times will be painful. But the reward is worth it. Amen. 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 Let's pray a, a word of closing prayer, and then we're going to dismiss. And our worship team is going to sing some songs up here, but you're not required to stick around and sing those with them. You're welcome to go and collect your kids and uh, have a great week. And we hope you'll be back next Sunday. Amen.
Father, thank you, Lord, for how you're teaching little kids. We think of the verse that says, out of the mouths of babes and sucklings, praise is perfected. We thank you, Lord, that you've uh, put the sweet message of Jesus on the lips of these kids and demonstrated it through their lives, Lord. And I pray that you would bring it home to them in a deep and powerful way. And Lord, if if uh, we're just going through the routine this holiday, I pray that you bring it home to us in a more meaningful way, the beauty of the story of Christ. Thank you for all who are here. We pray that you would resound in their hearts, Lord, the message of joy and peace in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for being here today. joining us today. If this ministry has impacted you, we would love to hear about it. You're welcome to message us at akmaranatha.com forward slash contact or message us on Facebook at Maranatha Full Gospel Fellowship. We pray you are blessed by the message and have a wonderful week.